It's good to see everybody. Welcome to church. We are glad that you are here. We want to welcome all of our first-time guests. We're glad you're in God's house, our television, online audience, and everybody who's tuning in at all of our locations. We know God has got a word for you. If you have your Bible, would you take it on out? If you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will get them to you. Let's go ahead and begin by making our declaration of faith all at the same time. Ready, go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, will hide his word in my heart so that I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. You all sound great. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to 1 Samuel chapter number 14. 1 Samuel chapter number 14. A story that we usually don't hear a lot about, but I believe that speaks to our hearts, especially concerning the subject that we are in, going all in. 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1. The scripture says, now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah underneath a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men, Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. Remember that because it's significant. He was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock, sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other was Sine. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Today in our second week in our series, All In, I want to talk to you from the subject, betting on God. Betting on God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by your power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit to every heart that hears this word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... You may be seated. Well, I know last week I spoke about something sports-related, but I'm going to do it this week as well. Um, Many of you saw this year uh, the home run record for the New York Yankees, single-season home run record for the New York Yankees was set by Aaron Judge. He hit 62 home runs. He, he, uh, I guess, topped, um, who was it, Roger Maris's uh, all-time home run record that the Yankees held by the Yankees or this Yankee for the Yankees, 61, right? Most people believe that it is actually the home run record for Major League Baseball, even though there are six others that actually hit more home runs than him. But there's an asterisk next to everybody else's name because everybody believes and probably is true that they use performance enhancing drugs to do it. Before the season started, the Yankees offered Aaron Judge a $213 million contract extension. 
Aaron Judge said no, went out and broke the single season home run record and then got an extension for $360 million. And so he made whatever the math is that much more in money. Why? Because he bet on himself. And there's a lot out there in the world today, right? About betting on yourself and believing in yourself. And, you know, if you don't believe in you, who's going to believe in you and all that. And, and I'm not down on that because I do believe we have to believe in ourselves. The fact of the matter is that God believes in us even when we don't believe in ourselves. But that's not my subject for today because I want to talk to you about betting on someone who is more reliable than even you. Right? You know you and you know that you can fail and you know that you may not put up better than you thought you, better than you had in the past and, and that you could have uh, life go sideways on you. But God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's faithful. He's reliable. You can count on him and you can go all in on God. And so I want to talk to you from the subject betting on God. And as we come to the subject again, all in, I want to remind you what it stands for. All in is being willing to, to trust God or being willing to put all your chips in the middle of the table, full devotion, uh, in God, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. And so often in life, we have this calculus in our head, don't we? And the calculus is, well, I know God may want me to do that, but but what's it going to cost? And if it costs more than we're willing to pay, we say no. Let's not front and, and, and act like we don't do that because we do that all the time in our Christian journey. We do it with how often we'll come to church and if we'll come to church on a particular Sunday. Well, what else do I have going on that particular day? And what's going on for the next few months? And so on. It's a calculus. What is this going to cost? me if I go all in on my relationship with the Lord or God puts it on your heart to do X or to do Y or to do Z and there's always a calculus that goes on in our mind and it's gotten so regular that it's subconscious for most of us but all in is full devotion to God no matter what the cost and it's more than just a prayer that we pray it is more than a sermon that we listen to it is more than a book that we read it is a decision that we make we talked about it last week. We said all in is being willing to put Isaac on the altar. It's being willing to throw your staff down before the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and say, let my people go. It's burning your plow and not looking back like Elisha did for Elijah. It is getting out of the boat and walking on water like Peter did. It is praying even though the cost is a night in a lion's den. Remember Daniel? It is not bowing before a wicked king even though that means you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. It means giving up your last bit of oil and meal because God said to do it even though you're in the middle of a famine. It is giving God the key to every single closet in your life. It is realizing that if God is not Lord of all, he may not be Lord at all. And see, we have gotten to a place in our Christianity where we think partial commitment and we think partial in is satisfactory. And we have defined Christianity with a new normal. Uh, what we think is, 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 is big time Old Testament, uh, uh, saints and, and, and Bible characters and Bible personalities and Bible people would have looked at us like we were crazy. We think it's great. Wow, somebody's in church 95% of the time, and they are really all in. No, they ain't. They just regular. Well, some, we, we know people who serve all the time, man. I, I don't know how they do it, man. They are really committed to church. No, they're not. They're just regular. 
See, all in is not these series of things that we do. It is a decision that we make that says no matter what the cost, we are going all in for Christ. And so when we come to our text, we find somebody that is a great example of going all in. He's a young man named Jonathan. Most people are not quite that familiar with Jonathan. Rather, they are familiar with Jonathan's best friend, David. But I submit for your approval that there would be no David unless there was a Jonathan. And you know the story. Jonathan was the son of Saul, who we'll talk about in just a little while. Saul was the king, so Jonathan was next in line for the throne. The throne was going to be his. But God anointed David. God picked somebody else. You know how you know if you're all in? If God picks somebody else and it doesn't mess with your attitude. Uh Uh-oh. If God picks somebody else, and not only does it mess with your attitude, but you are that other person's cheerleader. See, because all inners understand it doesn't matter who gets the glory as long as God gets the glory. In other words, we are willing to play whatever part God has for us in life, whether small or great, because all in is an inversion back to the true gospel where we are not the center of it all, but rather Jesus truly is the center of it all, where we realize that it's not God who exists for our pleasure, but we exist for his pleasure. And so Jonathan is an all-inner. He doesn't care. He just wants to know, God, what do you want? And if, if this is what you want, then I'm in. And if it's not what you want, then I'm out. And this is Jonathan. He was all in, no matter what the cost. And as we come to the story, we find King Saul has lost his way. He has abdicated his leadership responsibility to lead the children of Israel in the ways of God that be part of which was defeating or seeing God deliver them from Philistine captivity. Philistines were the arch enemies of, 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 of Israel. And Samuel the prophet gave Saul and all of Israel a promise in 1 Samuel chapter number 3, uh, chapter number 7 verse number 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts and put away the foreign gods and the asterisks, in other words, all of these things, these idle things that you are worshiping, these things that are higher up on the list in your life of priorities than God himself, if you take all this from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. By the way, I wonder how many times we aren't delivered because we aren't all in. And see, really, nobody knows on the outside if you're truly all in or not. And, and I just think that that more often than not, the reason why we aren't delivered is because we're not all in. Because we think we can have everything that God has promised by being partially in. And I said it to you last week, but I'll say it again. We have cheapened the gospel by by making people think that they can buy in without selling out. I said it last week that we have enough of Jesus to be informed, but not enough of Jesus to be transformed. That we, we, we love Jesus enough that we don't enjoy sin, but we enjoy sin too much that we don't really love Jesus enough. And so here's the situation. He said, listen, if you 
get rid of all of these things, then I'll deliver you. So this was the promise of God. And Saul, as the leader, was responsible to lead um, Israel to do exactly what Samuel said so that they can be delivered. But Saul has not been willing and able to commit himself fully to the ways of the Lord because he's not all in. Rather than being in a relationship with the Lord, he has begun to manipulate God and treat him as a mechanism to get what he wants and keep what he has. Don't look at Saul in that tone of voice because that's modern day Christianity. We treat God as a mechanism to keep what we have and get what we want. And so as we come to uh, the text, we see some important factors about being all in. Number one, all in helps us overcome indecision and its causes. As we come to the story, Saul, 600 military soldiers uh, and, and a priest with an ephod are sitting underneath the pomegranate tree, stricken with fear because of the Philistines. And the Philistines have amassed quite an army. I mean, they are militarily strong. It's like the United States going up against a third world country. The previous chapter tells us that they have 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as there are grains of sand on the seashore. We might not think that this is a military advantage, but it would be like having like, you know, airplanes in World War I. It was big time. The Philistines have spears and swords in plenty, and Israel owns just two. Saul's got one. And Jonathan's got one. Furthermore, the Israelites have almost to a person reason that they are no match for the Philistines. And so they're hiding in caves. Some of them have joined the Philistine army and only 600 of them remain. And they're by Saul's side and they're waiting for the command of their leader. What should we do? And among those 600 are Jonathan and his armor bearer, but, but all of them are stuck in neutral and paralyzed by indecision. They have decided that the best choice is to do nothing because they don't want to lose what they have. Saul thinks if I do nothing, if I just stand here and don't act, at least I retain the 600 people on the army that I have and the kingdom, by the way, that God has given me. Is not this one of the great causes of indecision? We are afraid to lose what we have. So instead of doing what God asked of us, we do nothing because at least we can keep what we have. I'm, this is good right here. So God blesses us with a job, a career, a relationship, possessions, an opportunity, whatever. And the time comes where we have to make a stand for God. We have to tell the job we can't do that because it's against our convictions. But we don't because we might lose the job. We have to tell the person in the relationship that purity is a non-negotiable for us. But we don't because we might lose the relationship. We have to part with our possessions and honor God with the tithe. But we don't because we might lose our house or our fancy car. We have to pass the opportunity in order to focus on what God wants us to do. But we don't want to because in our mind, it's a big opportunity. We are trying to save our life. Instead of losing it, which is what Jesus said is the key to finding it. And so this indecision often caused by the blessings of God. It's one of the, the sad realities of the blessings of God. I call it the pomegranate dile dilemma. In some twisted way, God's blessings to us become our greatest hindrances in going all in. 
The pomegranate dilemma. Do I do what God is asking me to do at the risk of losing what God has given me? I remember a time in my life where I prayed a prayer that launched me into the destiny God had given me. I was in a relationship that was holding me back from the destiny that God had for me. And I knew it was holding me back. But I loved the relationship. And I worked up the courage. Don't ask me how I did it. But I worked up the courage. And I prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, can you get remove this person from from my life so that I can serve you with everything that I know that you have for me. And can I tell you, God answered that prayer in a heartbeat and it hurt like the dickens, but thank God I had the courage to ask God to rip the band-aid off so the destiny of God could be fulfilled in my life. Your destiny is behind your indecision. And your indecision is often the result of you not being all in for God. This is Saul but it's not Jonathan. Saul is paralyzed by indecision because uh, a fear of loss, which is just the opposite, right, of what all in in, which is following Jesus no matter what the cost. Saul has forgotten what kingdom math is. Kingdom math is addition by subtraction. Kingdom math is give up, get more. Kingdom math is go low, go high. Kingdom math is 100% minus 10% is not less but more. It's less of us and more of him. And somehow, some way, we have forgotten kingdom math. We have gotten too much of a cultural mindset that we have forgotten to have a kingdom mindset. And so we are missing out on the destiny that God has for us. To Saul, God is a mechanism to more. To Jonathan, he's master of all. To Saul, God is a means to an end. To Jonathan, he is the end. Saul is not all in and therefore he can't move forward in his destiny. Jonathan is because he doesn't believe that anything truly belongs to him. He doesn't believe his fame belongs to him, his position belongs to him, his opportunity belongs to him, his privilege belongs to him, his anything belongs to him. He believes that it's all God's and it's all for God's glory, all from him and for him and to give him the glory. We need to flip our mindsets. The fear of loss paralyzes us from the future God has and keeps us stuck in indecision at the cost of our destiny. But all in protects us against living life in neutral and missing out on the life that God has for us. Remember what Jesus said in Revelation 3, 16. Again, this is to the church, not to the world. He said, so then, because you're lukewarm. You know what lukewarm is? It's, it's taking a middle position. On the things of God, right? Because compromise, by the way, in certain areas of life is important. In your marriage, if you don't learn to take a compromising position in some situations, your marriage will fall apart, right? But when it comes to the thing of, the things of God, when it comes to what God said, God says being in the middle is not, not good. He said, I would that you were hot or cold, and cold isn't a bad thing. It's not like God is saying, I would that you were on fire for me or really sinful. That's not what he's saying. In, in, in this particular city that he was talking to, in this city, there was hot springs and cold springs. And how many of you know both of them have medicinal purposes, right? You ever see athletes after a game, what do they do? They get into an ice bath, right? And so that cold it actually has healing power in it. So God is saying, I don't want you to be in the middle. I want you to be all in. Be everything that I've created you to be. And if you're not all in, you're really not doing real much good use for me. And so we've got to go all in because it protects us from indecision. But number two, all in is shaped by how we see God. 
What was the difference between Saul and Jonathan? We hinted at it when we said to Saul, God was a mechanism to be manipulated to get what he wanted. But to Jonathan, God was the master of all he had in life. Listen, here is the key to all in right here. How we see God has everything to do with what we do and who we become. Jonathan and Saul had two very different views of God. Matter of fact, look specifically at Jonathan's view of God. Then Jonathan, verse number six, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. In other words, God is not limited by circumstances. He's not limited by the odds. He's not limited by resources. He's able to make a way even if there is no way. He'll make a road even if there is no road. If there's no water in the desert, he'll make a river and put one there. If he's got to feed 5,000, he could do it with five loaves and two fishes. If there's only a little bit of oil and meal, he can multiply it to last the entire length of the famine. If it's a giant against a shepherd boy, God doesn't care because he could still win with the shepherd boy on his side. If he has to use ravens to feed you, if he has to use a child to teach you, earthquakes to deliver you, fire to answer you, or a cross to redeem you. God is not limited by any circumstances and how you see God has everything to do with what you do and who you become. And Jonathan was saying, as long as we're all in, we're okay. As long as we're all in, we're a-okay. So I ask you these questions. Is God faithful to you? Is God all powerful to you? Is God trustworthy to you? Is God loving to you? Is God forgiving to you? Is God miraculous to you? Is God ever present to you? Is God involved to you? Is God a shepherd to you? Is he sovereign to you? Is he good to you? Is he able to you? Is he willing to you? Is he greater than all your circumstances to you? Because if God is not those things to you, you ain't going to ever go all in. There'll be times in my life, in your life, where you're going to be like, ah. And the only reason that is, is because your view of God is off. To Jonathan, God was all those things. And the effect was number three. All in gives you the courage to bet on God. What does that look like? Well, number one, the trust to step out when it seems stupid. Notice what Jonathan tells his armor bearer. Everybody's hiding. The, the 600 men that are left, they're hiding. Half of the army is with the Philistines. The Philistines got them outmanned, outnumbered, out, 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 weaponed, wep, whatever, if that's not even a word, I know it's not, but he, they got everything going against them. And here's Jonathan's, Jonathan's strategy. There's one passageway that gets them from where they are to the, where the Philistine garrison was, or their stronghold was. And that passageway is lined on both sides. By cliffs, sharp cliffs. One is called Bozes and the other one is called Sine. Slippery and thorny. How many of you know it is never easy to pass from being casual in your Christianity to being all in in your Christianity. I know we make it seem like it's easy, but the flesh rises up and the flesh fights us every single step of the way. And they got to go from here to there. And notice what happens. The enemy is waiting for them on the other side of the passageway. Because how many of you know the enemy always positions himself in your life at the passageway? 
at the place from where you are to where God wants you to go. You will always have to face an enemy. And if you aren't all in, you'll lose some of the time. And Jonathan, he looks at his, his armor bearer. He says, I got a military strategy for you. He says, I was thinking, why don't we, why don't we just slip out right into the middle of the passageway where all the Philistines can see us? And why don't we just go there and, and, and just kind of like wave at them and make ourselves known to them? And, and, and depending upon what happens, we'll know whether the Lord is for us or not. Now, I don't know anything about military strategy, but I know a few things about life. That's a stupid strategy, right? You got one sword in your hand. They got all sorts of swords. They got chariots. They got charioteers. They got weapons. They got thousands. You got two. And your strategy is not let's sneak up on them and surprise them. Maybe we kill a few in the process, right? Not let's let's go in in the middle of the night. But let's just go right out there in the open and go, here I am. Now, as stupid as that strategy sounds, some of y'all do that with the devil all the time. Uh Uh-oh. Here I am, Satan, right here. See this open door in my life? Here I am, here I am, here I am. I know I shouldn't be doing that, but I just keep on doing it. Here I am, here I am, here I am, here I am. But this wasn't for Satan. This was the strategy that, that Jonathan heard from the Lord. He, well, we'll just, we'll just walk on out there. And here's what I know. I know that oftentimes in your journey with God, you will have to have the courage to step out on what seems stupid. Because that's usually where all in is. I mean, think about the instructions that God gave to so many of his, his, his generals in the faith. To Joshua, march around these city walls for six days. On the sixth day, march around seven times and just give a shout. And don't worry, I'll deliver the whole city. Meanwhile, the dudes with the artillery are standing on the top of the city wall just pointing at you, right? March around these walls. Moses, stretch forth your rod over the Red Sea while, while the army is attacking it. That's the strategy. Don't worry, Moses, I got you. Man with blind eyes that I just put mud on. The strategy is go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll be healed. That sounds pretty stupid to me too. Go down to the river, Elijah, and I'll send ravens, consumers of meat, to send you meat. That, that sounds stupid to me. Go to Zarephath. There I've commanded a widow woman who's got nothing to sustain you. That sounds stupid to me. Go show yourself to the priest and as you go, the leprosy will be healed. That sounds stupid to me. Don't go and fight Goliath with the king's armor on. Just take you your slingshot and five smooth stones and you can go defeat this guy who's ten foot tall and is covered in armor from head to toe. That is stupid to me. You know how many times God has told me to do stupid things? When I told my mother, I said, Ma, I said, I'm not going to be a lawyer no more. I'm not going to be a CPA attorney no more. She said, what you going to do? And I'm just going to leave it all. I'm going to go be a preacher. She said, how much are they going to pay you? I said, 400 a month. She said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. <laughs> a lot of times when God tells you to do something, it is stupid. But see, when you're all in, you have the courage 
to trust God even in what seems stupid. You see, all in gives you that courage to step out when it seems unsure because it gives you an assurance of who God is. When we are all in, we can be uncertain and at the same time, sure. Jonathan was uncertain about the strategy, but he was sure about who God is. The strategy is a maybe, but God is a certainty. The strategy may not be advisable, but God is almighty. The strategy may be questionable, but God is faithfully undeniable. The strategy may seem stupid, but God is sovereign, superior, and supernatural. If you are ever going to fulfill your destiny, you have to have trust in God to step out on what seems stupid. That's what all in looks like. The second thing that all in looks like, or the the courage to bet on God looks like, is the ability to discern God's leading. When we go to uh, chapter number 14, verse number 2, it says, And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, Eli the, the Lord's priest, in Shiloh and Shiloh, and he was wearing an ephod. Now, why is this important? Well, in Bible times, you know what an ephod was? It was a mechanism that priests used to, to discern the will of God. And so we read when, when David's men were attacked, and remember they, they burned the whole city, they took their families captive. David said this, First Samuel chapter 30, verse number 7, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring me an ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop, or shall I overtake it? An ephod was a way that the priest used to determine the will of God. So here is Saul with 600 men and the priest who has the ephod, and they cannot discern the will of God. Do you know why some of you cannot discern the will of God? Because you ain't all in. That went over like a lead balloon. The reason why some of you are praying so hard, but yet you have no clarity about what God wants you to do in a particular situation is because your ears are clogged up. Because in order to hear from God, you've got to be all in on the circumstance, especially in difficult situations. And so here is Saul, and he's not all in. God is a mechanism to more, and a mechanism or a way for him to keep what he has. And he's got the ephod. And by the way, you know what? They, how the ephod discerns the will of God, there was a breastplate that rested on the ephod. And the breastplate had 12 stones on it, one stone for every one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But behind the breastplate were two other, let's call them stones, even though nobody knows what they were, was the Urim and the Thummim. And the Urim and the Thummim were close to the priest's heart. And whenever the priest would pray on behalf of Israel and ask for direction, it's, it's believed that the Urim would light up. In other words, they pray, should I do this? And if the answer was yes, the Urim would light up. Uh, Should I not do this? If the answer was don't do it, the Urim would light up. And there were times when the Urim would do nothing, and when the Urim did nothing, that was usually because Israel had turned their back on God. 
And see, what we want is we want God, oh, this is so good. We want God to answer whatever we, we call on him. We want God to give us direction in every situation. But we want that with one foot in and one foot out. And God is saying, no, turn your heart toward me. Here's the word for 2023. I hope you can handle it because it's not an easy word. It's a word that is calling the people of God back to the heart of God, not in part, but in full, not, not just some, but all. God is saying, if you want to hear from me, if you want me to direct your life, if you want me to give you decision-making ability in difficult times, you got to turn your heart back to me. And so they can't, they got the ephod. Jonathan don't have an ephod. Jonathan's out there, it's just him, the armor bearer, no ephod. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, um, I got a plan. Here's the plan. Let's just go out in the middle of the passageway and wave our hands. We're going to throw our hands in the air and wave them like they just don't care. And we're going to hope. And we're going to hope that they see us. And by whatever happens, we'll know whether God is with us. Because nothing can hinder the Lord, whether by many or by few. In other words, Jonathan is able to hear. I believe he was hearing from God. And he's going by what he's hearing from God. And he steps out and he tells his armor bearer. But here's what I want you to know. You have a greater Urim and Thummim on the inside of you. He is called the Holy Spirit. And he gives you green lights and red lights all the time in our lives. I wish we would listen to the Holy Ghost. Number three, what does betting on God look like? The assurance to know the help of heaven is with you. The help of heaven is with you. Notice this again, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 7. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Now let me just say this. I heard somebody preach yesterday. I heard one of the greatest messages I've ever heard in my life yesterday. It was like a four-hour church service, but it was the greatest message that I ever heard in my life. And it was, it was I loved being there. Anyway, this guy said, because armor bearers, what's, what's, he was talking about that. And he said, you know, the scripture says that a good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. But he said, the one that was lost not the one who left. The one who was lost specifically says that in the scripture. So the one that's gotten caught up in things, the one that, the one that is overwhelmed with life and circumstance, the ones that's lost their way in their relationship with the Lord, but not one who's decided in their heart that they no longer want to be wherever God may have told them to be or that God told them to go someplace else. God never said chase down people who don't have your heart. Can I tell you, can I give you a key for life? Never chase down anybody in your life that don't have your heart because when you bring somebody back that don't have your heart, you bring back trouble with it. You need to learn to say goodbye to some people in your life. But if somebody's hurting, if somebody's lost their way, if somebody needs a help, If somebody needs a step up, by all means, reach out to that person and help that person. But we as the body of Christ got to realize that there is danger in bringing people into the fold that don't have the right heart. Hello. He looks at his armor bearer and he says, he said, this is the plan. The armor bearer says to him, he says, uh, do all that's in your heart because I'm with you 
according to your heart. I have, I have the same heart. Now when I look at this, I want you to know the assurance to know that the help of the Holy Spirit was with you. By the way, all in, all in is influenced by those who are around you. All in is influenced by those who are around you. If you are constantly hanging around casual Christians, Christians whose Christianity looks like American Christianity, that's the kind of Christianity you're going to have. Christians who, who reason their way out of doing the opposite of what the Word of God has to say. That's what your Christianity is going to look like. Because all in is influenced by those around you. And you remember how 10, 10 who were not all in for God spoiled millions who wanted to be all in for God, but were looking to just 10, 10 spies who came back with an evil report, infected everybody else because their casual nature of belief in God and their casual nature of submission to God got on everybody else. But there were two who stuck together, two who kept their eyes focused on the word, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else died in the wilderness. They were the only ones who went into their promised land. So if you want just an ordinary life of existence here on the planet, where it's just good enough and you never really do what God wants accomplished, then you hang around, let in your inner circle, casual Christians. Because I found out that it's not even, it's not even sinning saints that infect the church. It's casual Christians that infect the church. And so Jonathan tells this one person, he says, I'm with you, I, I got you. Now, I want to use this armor bearer as a type of the Holy Spirit, not in the fact that the Holy Spirit follows our plan, not in the fact that we lead the Holy Spirit, but in the fact that we, when we are all in for God, the Holy Spirit is with us every step of the way. Not just any help, but the very help of heaven is with us every step of the way. The guide to life is with us every step of the way. He's leading. He's guiding. We give him. When we, when we are all in, we are not all in by ourselves. We are all in with the Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus said is a carbon copy of me. We're all in. And I want you to know, you can go or you can go in the power of the Spirit. And I want to tell you, going in the power of the Spirit is way, way better. When the Spirit came on Samson, that Pee Wee Herman became the Terminator. When the Spirit came on David, he became a giant slayer. When the Spirit came on Elijah, he outran a chariot. When when it came on Ezekiel, he prophesied to dry bones and they became a mighty army. When it fell on Elisha, he did twice as many miracles. And friends, the Spirit of God has been poured out on us. When we go all in, we go in the power of the Spirit. The last thing that betting on God looks like is the trust to make yourself vulnerable. Notice this, verse number 11. It says, both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Phil- Philistines. Hey, yo, guys with all the swords, guys with the big army, here we are. Come get us. And the Philistine says, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has delivered uh, them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan, look at this, climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. Now this is amazing to me. 
You are going into a fight with people that can throw stuff at you as you're climbing. And you are climbing with your hands and knees. So you've got nothing to fight with now. You are totally exposed and you are completely vulnerable. That's betting on God. Betting on God is trusting that when we do what God wants us to do, even though in the natural we may be totally vulnerable, that God has our back. It's betting on God that God is going to protect us when we are in a compromised position. It's betting on God to block what is about to come our way, even when we made that decision on our own. It's betting on God to hold the enemy back. It's betting on God to keep us while we're climbing. It's betting on God to fight for us when we can't fight for ourselves. Jonathan was betting on God. You see, when you're all in, you do this in so many areas of your life. There is no victory without vulnerability. We want victory without any risk. Faith is assurance, but it's also risk. It's risk in the natural. It is assurance in the spiritual. It is being uncertain of the strategy, but certain on God. Can I tell you, half the time, I don't know if I should tell you this, because next time I said I feel like the Lord's led us, you're going to be like, you don't know. Half the time, I am uncertain of the strategy, but I'm sure on God. And here's the thing, though. If I'm all in, I'm just going for it. I don't know. Half, half the time, we're just making it up as we go. And I'm not trying to, trying to say that God doesn't guide and that God doesn't lead, but the only thing that we are sure of is we are sure of God in the circumstance. I don't know if the strategy that I'm using is going to work. I don't know if this particular step is going to pan out, but I know God is faithful and I know if my heart is all in and I didn't intentionally try to disobey him, that God is going to put his super on my natural and God is going to bring a victory out of this situation. And when you're all in, you, you, you do this. You make yourself vulnerable in even the little things. So when you're all in for God, you make yourself vulnerable in your marriage. And you say, I was wrong. And I'm sorry. Do you know how many marriages crumble because one or both people will not make themselves vulnerable? I'm not saying I'm sorry. I'm not saying I'm sorry. Stupidity. How, how could you be all in on God and refuse to say you're sorry to a spouse when you know your marriage hangs in the balance? How's that possible? There's only one way. Your heart's not all in. Because here's the thing I found out about God every time in my marriage. Every time my wife is wrong, and it happens more often than not. Every time I go to God to pray about it. There's only one thing I ever hear. Go make it right. Go say you're sorry. I'm like, God, come on. It's not the answer I was looking for. But you have to make yourself vulnerable, right? When you're only in for God, you make yourself vulnerable in confessing your sin. Do you know how many people stay stuck in addiction? 
because they want nobody to know they're struggling. I got to keep up. I got to keep up. So everybody thinks I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. And they'd rather have good appearance rather than deliverance from the situation. But when we're all in on God, we make ourselves vulnerable by confessing our sins. Why? Not so we can be condemned for our sins, but so that we can be healed and delivered of our sins. Why don't people do that? Not all in. When you're all in for God, you make yourself vulnerable by putting Him first in your finances. Bend on God to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. But why don't people do that? Because they think their financial math is going to work out better than God's financial math. When you're all in for God, you make yourself vulnerable by serving others, by going low, and in the process, what happens? You go high. When you're all in for God, you make yourself vulnerable, betting that God will do what he said. You'll prophesy to those dead situations in your life. And you're betting on God that God will come through. Every time you make yourself vulnerable by going all in for Christ, you are betting on God. You're saying, you know what, God? I'm putting my complete trust in you. I'm pushing my chips in. If you don't go through, I'm going. If you never have. God, if you don't come through moments in your life, I promise you, you're half in. And not all in. And here's the beauty of, of all in. All in is this. When you go all in, so does God. First Samuel chapter 14, verse number 13. And they fell before Jonathan. And, he, and, and as, he came up, as he came up after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre. Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Verse 20, then Saul and, and all his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistine army revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. (laughs) So then the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle continued to rage even after Beth-Avon. Notice what happened. Because Jonathan bet on God, God showed up and showed out. And because one person dared to go all in, it had a trickle effect on everybody else. See, we never know the impact of our all in. I'm a firm believer that not all, not all the time, but a lot of the time, reason why the rest of our families don't come to Christ is because we ain't all in. It has no trickle effect. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes there's people who are all in, and they have, the, they have the most stubborn people in the world that are around them in every way. I believe the reason why our friends are not affected is because we're not all in. We care more about relating to them over a beer than we do relating to them about the Bible. Uh-oh, that, that was good right there. That's a double B, too, right there. But we, we just want to think we normal, you know. We, just, we don't want no one... And, and, and so we don't have the power of attraction. We don't have the power of all in multiplying. 
and we never see what God wants to do. And so I leave you with this question today. What is it that God wants to do for you and through you that he has been waiting to do? Only if you'll bet on him. Only if you'll push your chips in the middle of the table and say, God, I'm all in. I'm betting on you. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Father, I pray, first of all, as I preach your word, I myself am in no wise cast away. That as I preach to this congregation and everybody under the sound of my voice, that you would help me in every area of my life to be all in for your glory and for your honor. And Father, we pray as a church that that would be our heart this year. Not half-hearted, but full-hearted. Not half-committed, but all-committed to the cause of Christ. Would you join me in prayer? If you're here today and you have never given yourself to Christ, if you have never surrendered your life, if you have never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing about the gospel is that God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't done for us. Jesus went all in for us. He left his throne in heaven. He became a human being, laid aside his divinity and took on our humanity, lived a sinless life, died a criminal's death, went to hell to grab the keys of death, hell, and the grave and came up so that he can give us eternal life. On that cross, he paid the price for our sin. Sin is not something to be casual about. Sin demands punishment. The punishment is death, and Jesus paid it for you. And when you accept what Christ did, you don't have to suffer the penalty for death. But when you reject Christ, then you stand before God on your own merits. And today, God wants to give you the opportunity to give your life truly to him. If you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and maybe you have never given your life to Jesus, but today you want to surrender him and be forgiven of your sins and know that you're right with him, right where you are. Just hold your hand up to God so I can pray for you. Pastor, today I'm giving my life to Jesus. I know that I know that I know that I want to be right with him. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. For the purpose of anybody watching online today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Let's all pray this with maybe that one soul. You know, the scripture says that all heaven rejoices when even one gets saved. And there might be that one on the other side of that camera. Because in church this morning, there's none because you all got lazy about bringing people to church. But I forgive you. But maybe there's that one that's on the other side of that camera. Let's pray this prayer out loud. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. As I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen, amen. If you gave your life to Jesus today and you're watching, reach out in the chat to somebody and we'll reach back out to you. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.